Hey there, hockey fans. Welcome to 97 Octane Hockey, featuring our dynamic trio of hosts, Kirk Morris, Bob Schmidt, and Mike Dursa. The boys are cranking up the heat on Oilers Talk, bringing you the hot takes from power plays to hat tricks, with special guests and insider insights. It's hockey talk that takes the game to a whole new level. Get ready for a wild ride through the highs and lows of Oilers hockey. Buckle up, Oilers faithful. This is 97 Octane Hockey. Good evening and welcome to episode 40 and another edition of 97 Octane's Monday Night Raw. And tonight I'm joined by Kirk Morris, Bob Schmidt, and uh, our special guest, the host of 99 Forever Podcast. Um, Tonight we'll look back at the week that was, uh, that saw the Oilers lose two of three on the the South Pacific, I guess we'll call it, uh, division road trip. And uh, the 16 win streak was snapped at the hands of our arch rivals, the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, welcome, Eric. And I want to start by asking you all if there's a reason f- for concern or just a little hiccup. Um, and we'll go Eric, Bob, and then Kirk. And uh, yeah. Well, first of all, thanks again for having me on the show, guys. I was trying to think the last time that I was on this podcast. I must have been back in November or something like that. So. First of all, just great to chat with you guys. Um, reason for concern. I think that you could make the case that the best game the Oilers have played since coming back from the All-Star break was against the Vegas Golden Knights. So in terms of concern, they're not really. Uh, sometimes the bounces don't go your way, and on that night they didn't. But I really thought the Oilers outplayed uh, the Golden Knights in that first game at least. So... Uh, no concerns there. The, the the two subsequent games that we watched, uh, they won one, lost one, but I, I don't know if I really loved their 60-minute effort in either of those games. They were luckily able to come up with the win in one of them. But, uh, yeah, I would just say it's been a so-so start to the, the uh, unofficial second half of the season. Well, I want to chime in and uh, say thanks for jumping on, uh, Eric. Uh, number and uh, nine nine forever, I believe, is uh, undoubtedly the second best order podcast there is out there. Um, so uh, that's uh, a high that. praise, high praise, my friend, high praise. Um, the uh, concern. Let's see. I'm yeah. I'm with you, Eric. I'm not concerned about that Vegas game. Um, I thought we played. That's probably our best law. Our the best we've played in a loss all season. Uh, there was definitely probably about five or six games during that 16-game winning streak where we played uh, worse but still won. Um, I have a big concern about the the Kings game. I, it, that was probably our uh, our worst game since uh, since our 6-3 loss to Carolina, and that's and then that's back to November 22nd. So uh, I actually thought this last game we were we're just overall flat, and the Kings, you know. I've played us on the, in so many different aspects of that game. Uh, 
I my concern after the the winning streak was snapped was it's so easy to now string three or four losses in a row together after coming off from that high of a 16 game winning streak. Um, but we won that game against Anaheim, which I actually thought we we played uh, pretty damn good in. And uh, so now I think this King, I'm going to call this Kings game the anomaly because uh, we're not used to playing that badly for this second half of the season so far. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see the bounce back game we have in Detroit. And that's going to set the tone here for what we have to expect in the next few games. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought the, the Kings game was a burn of tape uh, scenario. Just, you could tell by the frustration by Connor McDavid when he snaps his stick over the boards. Yeah. You know that, and he, he had a rough night. He, he bobbled the puck he did. a bunch. You know, everybody was out of sync there. I think, I don't know how many odd man rushes there they gave up. Like, they just, it's like they fell into bad habits all over again, right? Just, just not cluing in defensively. And I'm not, I'm not, not taking pot shots at the team. Like, they had a, they had a wonderful two, you know, two, uh, two runs there with an eight game winning streak and then a 16 game heater. Like, you can't, you can't knock them for that. But, and I, I thought the effort against Vegas was, I, I thought they should have won, but they just flat out got goalied there by Hill. Like just, yeah, I, I don't know what else to say. Like, and then, and then I thought Pickard there against Anaheim kept him in it. That was, he was out undoubtedly the first start of the game. So after, after kind of the, the loss to Vegas, um, you know, I, I think we might've saw a coach go to the experiment, um, well <laughs> against the ducks and i think that's fine um shuffled up the d pairings um gave uh De a look with with nurse um to reward him i, I think for his solid uh, defensive play that he that he's been showing through that 16 game win streak um but split up every pairing and uh kind of tinkered with the lines i think we found a little something that worked and a little something that doesn't that being uh, the KD Perry line uh, being put together, you know, so now, now you got a line with Dry Seidel, Evander Kane, and Corey Perry that is just a load and, and for me is reminiscent of the San Jose Sharks when, when Thornton and Marlowe and Chichu were all together and they would cycle the puck behind the net and you just spent a shift in your own end because you couldn't get out because they just wouldn't give you the puck and, and wouldn't relent. Um, so I think that is something that the you know, run with going forward and until it isn't, but that looked good. But to me, um, you know, Vinny's defensive play, I think garnered him a, a, a look-see with, uh, you know, a new partner. Um, but unfortunately, I think what's happened is his passing ability has been kind of exposed up there uh, with Nurse. I think he still defends fine. I think he can do fine from a defensive standpoint. And, and maybe that's a line you look at in the playoffs to use uh, sparingly as a shutdown line. But uh, moving forward, I don't think you'll see it too much. I just think, you know, for Cody Cece's deficiencies, I think the guy is a, is a pretty good puck mover. And, and him with Nurse seems to work and him without Nurse seems not to work. So today at, at um, you know, morning skate, uh, pairings were back to what we saw through most of that 16 game run um and, and to me i think that's that's positive news going forward also i guess another change is that uh matthias janmark has slotted out of um 
the bottom six and Sam Gagne has found himself back in. So um, what do you guys think about that whole D experiment? And Kirk, you can go first and then Bob and then Eric. Well, I, I'm not sure what to think, man, because I thought Vinny did okay, The you know, like for, for the first little bit, and then he got overwhelmed by puck moving, like just – yeah, just I don't know. It was it was a head scratcher to begin with. Like, just I I, I applaud Knobloch for for implementing the change, you know, and, and giving it a shot. Um, but I don't know about you guys, and I I don't want to sound like the typical, you know, whiner on on Twitter or X or whatever you call it there, and dive into that that black you know, that black hole that everybody seems to, you know, have to have that whipping boy, but Cody Cece, boy, he had some moments there. He, he had some moments where it was just like WTF, you know, just, and I, I, I don't, like I said, I don't know if he, if the entire decor got overwhelmed, you know, just, just by the non-chemistry or whatnot. I'm, I'm not sure. Like just, but as you said, there, there's like moving forward, everybody's back together again. And, I guess if you got a winning formula, you definitely don't mess with it, you know. Which game do you think he got he got uh, overwhelmed in, Kirk? Um, I thought both the games between, uh, like between Anaheim and 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 LA. There, I just, I think it was in Anaheim there the one goal. Like he just, um, he just turned his back there to 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 the guy that scored. It was just like. Yeah, he, he lost coverage and Fogel yeah. picked up his man, which left uh, the other guy open there to, to yeah. roof it. I, I can't remember who, yeah. who scored the goal there, but yeah. Yeah, just it was just a head shaker. Like, and I don't, I don't know. What do, what do you think there? I'm going to agree with you on that play, uh, Kirk, for sure. I know, I know which play you're talking about there in the Anaheim uh, game, but uh, I'm going to disagree overall, though. I thought the uh, CC Kulak pairing was probably our best pairing in the, in those uh, in the two games. Uh, I actually thought the other guys um, struggled, but the other pairings struggled more. So, uh, in fact, I would go as far as saying as CC was probably our best player in that in that Kings game. And it's a lot of little things that he was doing was uh, he was taking away a lot of the passing lanes and a lot of the shooting lanes. Uh, you know, stuff that might not show up on the on the stat sheet as much. Although he did get a couple of shot blocks credited to him. But I thought his uh, he was very smart in that uh, Kings game, uh, taking away a lot of the chances that were that were available. Uh, and but I will agree with you that I applaud uh, Novak in in trying some new things uh, because, in fairness, during the 16 game winning streak, there were a couple games where where we did struggle. Uh, we relied on our goaltending the first you know, period or first half of the game before we got our legs out, and then won. Like they weren't all pretty wins, that's for sure. And, and like I mentioned before, that. The biggest game we lost, I thought, was we played better in that game than about five or six games during the winning streak. Um, you know, so I guess you know he's trying to find, he's trying to make sure that there's some insurance there that if somebody goes down hurt, that guys can still play with e- with each other. Uh, but there's a lot to be said for chemistry, and all the way leading up to this, uh, the Ducks Kings game kind of thing is I thought our defensive chemistry and the pairings that we had were really solid. The guys know each other well now. They know what the other guy's going to do. They know when to jump up, when the guy, next guy's going to cover. They're reading off each other well. So I'm encouraged to see he went back to that pairings, but I didn't mind the experiment. It was just kind of had uh, erratic results. 
Yeah, um, I, I think when you're on a winning streak, especially one that was as long as the, what the Oilers had, uh, you're bound to win some games that you probably should have lost. And then coming out of that winning streak, you might lose some games that you deserve to win. Like, I, I think you can point to several of the games in January where the Oilers maybe didn't have their, their best game that night, but just through sheer strong goaltending, uh, capitalizing on the chances you have and the defense, you know, coming up big on the penalty kill and things like that. It, it kind of takes you to that point where, okay, well, we're just, we just know how to win at this point. And it, like I said, there there were some games in there that you you were like, oh, could they have played better tonight? Yeah, and you know you'll see some people on Twitter point out and say, oh well, uh, eight of the Oilers' last ten games, you know they've you know had a, a bad period here. There they haven't had like a, a two games in a row where they were solid start to finish. But like we said, they they know how to get this done. Um, I think that if we're looking at the last two games specifically. Yes, the Anaheim game, because they're a weaker opponent, that's the time when you could try to tinker with a few things and go to some different deep pairings. Obviously, it wasn't working, and they couldn't match Anaheim's work ethic early on, and then eventually some switches had to be made. But uh, I would think that this is probably an indicator to the coach that they should stick with the lineup that really had them finding success over the past six weeks. So let's hope that they go back to that more consistently. Even if you think that there are holes in this lineup or that, you know, they could upgrade here or there, uh, it was still a successful uh, roster the way they were running it. So I think that that's what they need to go back to. And I think we will see closer to that on um, on Tuesday night, especially with uh, Sam Gagne now, as you mentioned, coming in for um, uh, Matthias Janmark. I uh, want to get to something because, you know, we, we've been waiting for sort of Corey Perry to bring his real Corey Perry side to him. Oh, we saw it. In a game. So we saw uh, it in Anaheim. Th- there was a play in Anaheim that was reminiscent of another play in Anaheim, and I've got them both tied together for your viewing pleasure. So let's enjoy this. <laughs> it's a little bit long, but uh, you'll, you'll like this. So here we go. Now dry side. With Kane and Perry shot in Gibson around the boards. Let's pay attention here. You've got Kulak and Cece out there. Now Kane walks in. Short side scores. This game is tied. Gibson is staying. That his stick was interfered with. Yep. And I tell you, they might challenge this. But I, I mean, it's it's kind of one of those ones that happened so far before the goal went in the net but there's no question buzz in the tower once again took the stick right out of gibson's hands he's looking around there was no penalty and i don't think because it was called that it's going to be something you're really going to want to go back and try on but it's a short side shot that beats him and here it is perry comes in he kind of whacks the stick and as he chops that stick, it blows out of the hands of Gibson. And I mean, he's got his hands up in the air. And the Oilers just continue to go to work. It's Evander Kane that digs it out, spins and fires, and beats Gibson. And say what you want. When a goaltender doesn't have a stick, it always feels like, oh boy, I don't have something. And they're, they're just a little bit awkward not having their stick in their hand. And it pays off here because Gibson was a little rattled from that chop, and they're going to count at 1-1. No challenge on it. I thought maybe they might because of the nature of it. Would have been really interesting if they would have. 
guard against a cross-ice pass through the goal crease. Now you can give up the point shots here. You almost have to five on three, but no cross-ice passes down low. Smith dumped in front, back to Froner, and Pekka across the top. Froner scores, one-time blast, and the Oilers, for the first time tonight, have the lead. And Jason here has lost his pool, and he's chasing Ryan Smith, and he might draw a penalty here. Gary is clearly frustrated. There was contact in the goal crease between Smith and Jaguar, and I think that's what Jiggy's upset about, but well, Ryan Smith does his job. He goes to the front of the net. We're going to see the goal from Pronger. We can't really see that from that angle, whether or not there's contact with Smith, but watch Ryan Smith in front of the net. See him hammer the top of the goal stick by J.S. Jaguar. You know what? That's going to happen. You, you have to almost expect that as a goaltender. Ryan Smith, I, I mean, it's one thing to make contact with the netminder with the body of the goaltender, but to hook the stick of the netminder, and yeah. Jair uh, got the penalty. And you know what? That's a bad penalty for Jazz to take. Very undisciplined, and the Oilers are going to be in a position here to run up the score because, you know, they're going to be at a five-on-three power play for the next three minutes now, John. Well, the power play goal should erase the Niedermeyer penalty, and it does. Now they've taken it off the board. You're right. So, so it's a two-minute, two-man advantage again. Undisciplined play by J.S. Jaguar. Now it's about composure now. The Ducks penalty kill remains on the hot seat. Well, watch the stick of J.S. Jaguar. Right there, it gets hooked by... Ryan Smith in front of the net. And, and so that's what Jaguar is saying. I mean, he's claiming he could not make a play on the shot by Chris Pronger because the stick was being hooked. But I, I can't think of a, an instance where I can recall an official um, calling a stick check on a goaltender in that situation. I mean, it's, it's an experienced play by Smith that makes life tough for the goaltender. We got another penalty coming another up. Another penalty the Ducks. coming up to the Ducks, and this is begun, becoming sublime. And it's Jaguar mixing it up with Smith once more in front. A couple of face washes for the Edmonton forward from Jaguar, and Smith is just skating away from it all because he knows he's got Jaguar under his thumb right now. Well, the, the Ducks are just, you know, they're just doing it to themselves at this point. And now Pekka is the target of Jaguar's ire as he had begun to mix it up with Beaujolais. Scott Niedermeyer's got to be careful here because you know he's skating around and, and I think the penalty is going to go against Scott Niedermeyer for cross-checking. But uh, boy, the, the discipline here from the Mighty Ducks is costing him this hockey game. With a lack of discipline, I should say. Let's see, it might be a penalty on Jaguar. Well, there's the chop onto the right angle of Ryan Smith, and he goes down. You know, I, I, I thought it was going to be a cross-check against Scott Niedermeyer, but in fact, it's going to be a slashing penalty against J.S. Jaguar. So, you know, the irony of this is that Jaguar's got two penalties levied against him. He doesn't serve any of them, but the Ducks are going to put another man in the box and now they will be down again. And that penalty can't even begin for another minute 33 because that's what remains in the initial penalty on Jaguar. 
And now he's got a 10-minute misconduct that has been doled out against Jeff Shiger. So. And he got a double minor. Wow. He got the slash, and then he got either an unsportsmanlike or a roughing call. And Randy Carlisle is going to call a timeout here, and, and he's going to get Jiggy over to the bench, and he's going to say, hey, do you want to play the rest of this game? Because you've got to calm down. That sequence is like the most hilarious thing I've ever seen uh, in my Oiler fandom. Like that's number one. I think no, number two for me is uh, when uh, Pat Maroon tugged on Brett Burns's beard uh, on the ground. I, I thought they were going to get up fighting, and Burns got up laughing. At, um, but yeah, that 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 sequence was nuts. <laughs> and as soon as Corey Perry did that uh, to Gibson, I, I was thinking, oh man, this is Smitty and Jaguar all over again. Funny oh. enough, I think Corey Perry was playing in both of those games. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think you're yeah, right. Yeah, that, that was his rookie season in 05-06 in that first clip. And uh, here we are 18 years later, and uh, he's finally on the good side of that rivalry. <laughs> and, bo and both games in Anaheim. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, You ever had anything like that, Bobby, in your, in your career where you just well, kind of lost I was it? Gonna, I was, I was – you know, obviously, I put myself in in the goalie skates there in, in those matters. So, I was uh, I I actually I was a pretty hot headed goalie, uh, but it was more so for guys that I thought were taking like liberty runs at me and, and that sort of stuff that were avoidable. And that yeah, like I tend I, I did give my share of uh, blocker sandwiches in those moments, <laughs> but I would never give a player the satisfaction of knowing he was under my skin. Like if you were actually. Uh, hurting me like by running me over i'm, I'm going to show you that i'm, I'm not going to push it around but to be in my crease and fucking around with my stick and that sort of thing i'm i'm not going to give you the satisfaction that you're under my skin like jaguar yeah like i want to believe for jaguar's sake and i was a bit of a jaguar fan actually is that he had other things going on as well not just in the hockey game maybe he had some other stresses going on as well where he was just at his loose at his wits end and this was enough and he lost it um because Ryan Smith, like the, like that uh, announcer said there, like Smith just skated away because he knows he's got Jaguar under, you know, under his thumbnail kind of thing. I never wanted to give that player that satisfaction that you got under my skin. No. If anything, I'm going to get under your skin. So I'd be more upset at the ref for missing, uh, you know, all that kind of shenanigans there than I was at the player for, for getting away with it. So, yeah, y you, don't get, you don't get the satisfaction in knowing that you got the better of me. Um, I'll find other ways to make it back to you. Um, I want I want to talk about one other thing that happened kind of Saturday night uh, before the Oilers game. Uh, there was a little bit of fireworks, and and uh, so I'll show a clip on that, and we'll we'll talk about that. Actually, hey, one quick thing, there's one thing, quick thing. That Corey Perry thing on John Gibson. Seriously, that alone already has warranted his signing. That is exactly <laughs> what we want from Corey Perry. Yeah. As soon as that happened, I'm like, this is why we have him. Like that was beautiful. He that actually should count as a goal for him because Oh man. Well, yeah. I mean that yeah. or or a second assist. You gotta give two assists for that that one. <laughs> one of my pet peeves for all goalies is when they lose their stick, they feel totally uncomfortable. And you, you saw Gibson as soon as you know uh, as soon as King walks up from the corner there, he goes down instantly, right? You're just trying to cover up any hole. Um, are, you, are you surprised, though, Bob, that that wasn't challenged? 
No, I don't know what they challenged for. Like, I'm surprised too they didn't get challenged to goal. Too, too long before the goal to challenge that. Well, that, and he was outside of his crease. Like, he was, I, yeah. I know the, the, you know, the, behind the net, there's kind of a sacred area there, too, but it's fair play when it so comes to the stick. So, did we unlock the Ryan Smith cheat code on? cheat code on how to get greasy goals with that well i disagree with the i disagree with the fair play thing there kirk i i'm surprised that didn't get called to begin with i yeah. saw it happen in real time and i'm like uh perry just slashed gibson stick out of his hands and I mean, I, that and was more then, that was more blatant than smitty's yeah 100 yeah, yeah. it was 100 it was so but but i think i think what perry did is like because it was at the side of the net and the ref was on the other side of the net like the close ref so I think he, I think he timed that. Well, I'm not going to put anything past Perry at this point. He's played, no, this, he's played that no. kind of game long enough to know what he can get away with and, and where guys are situated. So sure, I'll give him credit for that. But that to me was Perry's uh, first goal as an order. And I know <laughs> when I was practicing, when I used to, you know, uh, practice that sort of thing, I did a lot of drills and stuff with no stick. And even now when I goalie coach, I make my goalies do a lot of drills with no stick as well. Yeah. Just because I don't want them to feel that uncomfortable when they do yeah. lose their stick. Because that does happen a lot in the games, actually, especially in scrambles and whatnot. And you saw a guy, a professional like Gibson, he was totally lost without a stick there. He went down instantly just to try to cover any kind of spot he could. Yeah. And I was just going to say that there, Bob. If I was a goalie coach, that'd be like, or unorthodox drills, just just like what yeah. happened to, to Gibson, you know, just just so you don't have that oh shit moment, and you you start to panic, you know. At least you know how it feels with without it. And those composite sticks nowadays, they're so freaking light. You could you could you could you know brush past the goalie there, and you'll lose it because he doesn't even feel it. That's true. Yeah, I'll, I'll show the so. clip from Saturday, and then we'll discuss this before we take a take a break. Attempt at the empty net, hit a body. That's why there's no icing. Maybe one last gasp here for the Oilers. Bergeron fans on a pass. Stefan steals and he'll ice it. Oh, at least I thought he was gonna until he blew it. That's unbelievable. Here come the Oilers the other way, and Hemsky's loose. Hemsky, he scored. Can you believe what we just saw? the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Patrick Steffen, you should be embarrassed for what you just did. That does not belong in the National Hockey League. And then the puck is turned over. Stoll gets the puck up, and shockingly, it's Ryan Smith. Alec Hemsky makes a remarkable move, and the Oilers somehow are going to send this game to overtime as Alec Hemsky's seventh goal of the season ties the game with two seconds left. That's the most embarrassing thing I've seen on the National Hockey League ice. And I don't know, I've been around the game 25 years at the pro level. That is unbelievable. And Mick Magoo's not gonna take that one away from Hemsky. That is stunning. I cannot believe what I just witnessed with my own two eyes. And we're tied at five. Just an... 
I, I don't even know yet. Yeah, unreal, unremarkable. Unremar it doesn't even matter what adjective you throw on it. But when Stefan loses the puck, because he's just going to try and slide it into the goal gently, how about shoot the darn thing? You got a $300 stick in your hand, but Jared Stoll alertly gets this puck and moves it up the ice. Ryan Smith is able to slide it to Hemsky, and Marty Turco comes ever so close to stopping this with his stick. Hemsky's able to slide it in, and an improbable time goal by the Oilers sends this into overtime. Toronto Maple Leafs defenseman Morgan Riley could be in trouble with the NHL. He's facing a possible suspension for a nasty cross-check that caught Sens center Ridley Gregg in the face. It was the dying seconds of the game. The Leafs are down by one, so they pulled Martin Jones for the extra attacker. Ridley Gregg was sprung. He was all alone. But rather than just tucking the puck into the empty net, he took a slap shot. Riley was right behind him, followed him to the boards, and while Gregg was celebrating, he cross-checked him right in the face. Now, we can certainly understand why Riley and the Leafs would be ticked off, but the cross-check... That was clearly going way too far. You can bet the league is going to take a good, hard look at this. No matter what the league decides, Riley's got the full support of his head coach. Sheldon Keefe said, and I quote, I thought it was appropriate. Our players have the right to react, end of quote. And now it's up to the NHL to react. When they do look at the video, here's what they're going to have to consider. This was not a case of Morgan Riley merely finishing a check. It wasn't a hockey play by any stretch of the imagination. Riley chased Greg down well after the play was done, and his stick ended up nailing Greg right in the face. Some are going to argue the initial point of contact was actually Greg's shoulder, and then the stick slid up into his face. While the intent may be in doubt, in the end, the stick caught Greg in the face. Riley got a five-minute major for cross-checking and a game misconduct, but there was only six seconds left in the game. So now what? Well, Morgan Riley does have a couple of things going in his favor. He's got no history of fine or suspension. And the other good news, of course, is Greg went down for a bit, but it doesn't look like he was injured on the play. So it's going to be interesting to see how hard the league comes down on Morgan Riley. As I mentioned, no matter what happens, Riley's got the support of his head coach, Sheldon Keefe, who said he did what was appropriate. Along the same line, some fans of the Leafs are going to say, even if Riley does get suspended, it may still be worthwhile for the Leafs in the long run. That it could actually be a positive to see this side of Riley. That this kind of response to being shown up could be a good example and message to send to the rest of the team. That it's time to get a little extra fire in the belly, even if it means paying a price. Time they become a little harder to play against. But appropriate from the Leafs' standpoint or not, I think the league is almost certainly going to call it inappropriate, illegal, and worthy of supplemental discipline. What a wild, like, polar opposite, you know, goals. Like, <laughs> Ferraro rips Patrick Steffen a new one, and it's probably his best ever commentary as far as I'm <laughs> concerned uh, that I ever heard. And, and, you know, he tears him a new one. You know, you got a $300 stick. You might as well use it. And then this, this guy in Ottawa does just that, and then he gets creamed. I, I got to admit, I got a confession here. Like, I, I watched a lot of Coach's Corner in my day, 
I never heard Don talking about you can't rip a clapper into into an empty net. Like I, I never knew this was a thing where you're supposed to be upset about how fast the puck goes into an empty net. I, I you know, I get not showing up your opponent. I get not shooting the puck after the whistle, but I've never heard of, you know, getting decked because you, you ripped a clapper into an empty net. Like the game, it's over. That that's the exclamation point on the game. And I can see being pissed off that you lost because that's the final nail in the coffin. I get it, but I don't know. To go chase him down and cross-check him in the head just seems a little excessive to me. If you're mad, you know, there's going to be a face-off because obviously there's an empty net. Drop the gloves and get after it. Like, I don't know. Uh, that that one kind of blew me away. Um, uh, th- there's a comment from YouTube from this slappy waggle. says, uh, no problem with the shot. I fully agree. The Leafs needed to respond. However, I'd say that Riley needs to drop the stick and go in swinging. Yeah, yeah I mean, jump the guy. But to me, it's it's it's... I don't know. I, I didn't get the memo where you're supposed to fight. Well, you're supposed to get real fucking irate that <laughs> somebody ripped a clapper into an empty net. Like, I don't know. Well, I'll take you back to game six between the Oilers and Kings in the 2022 playoffs. And if you remember, the Oilers came into that game down three to two and their lives were on the line. Um, and they were had a three two lead after Tyson Berry had scored to put them ahead. And Evander Kane, if I recall, stole the puck out of the center ice, skated in, and instead of just sliding the puck over the line, which I think, I, I guess we, we've now determined is like the most appropriate way. I mean, first of all, <laughs> make, make sure the puck gets in. But second of all, don't, uh, don't try to shove it in the other team's face. But Kane... He he shoved it in the Kane's face because if I remember, he wired that shot from like a wrist shot, but like a forceful one that was probably two feet off the ground. Um, and then after that, signals to the Kings crowd. Yeah, you know, yeah. seven for yeah, Game going, Seven coming we're going up. To seven, yeah. So I'm just saying, I you could say that that was more disrespect than what uh, Greg did. I think it's a combination of things, and though. It, and because it's Evander Kane and he's a physical guy, nobody did a goddamn thing. No. I mean, look at them. Back in the Heritage Classic, he was trying to get into a fight because I think he thought it would cool that be would be cool to have a, a Gordie Howe hat trick in the Heritage Classic, but <laughs> there were no takers on the flames. He kept saying, like, what are you uh, going to do? Who, who here is going to do anything? Is anybody here going to do anything, right? And no one did. For... for uh, Ridley Gregg being like a rookie and everything like, you know, probably doesn't have that type of a reputation in the league. And also the Leafs haven't been playing that well as of late. I believe they're five and five in their last 10 games and losing a game on hockey night in Canada to one of your biggest rivals, the battle of Ontario in a game that you probably expected to pick up the two points as they fall into a wild card spot. The Leafs do. Um, I think that just emotions boiled over and, you know, people had been questioning the Leafs character and toughness as of late as well. So I'm sure that just all of that was just a culmination of events and uh, led to that uh, incident happening. Do you think this is a galvanizing moment for the Leafs now? Because everybody's fucking pissed. Uh, yeah, I mean, you you could describe it as one for them, I guess. But like, here's the thing. I'm pretty well known for not being a, a, a Leafs fan, right? So, like, I'm I'm trying to like take my bias out of this, and um, I mean, I mean, I'm the guy from the heavy hockey Twitter account who was calling uh, Tampa Canada's Lightning last year in the playoffs. So, uh, 
uh, anytime we were doing updates on that series. But um, like, look, if you look at this Leafs team, they're a really good regular season team. We've seen it for years. They finally got over the hump last year and won a playoff series. Credit to them for beating Tampa, ending their 19-year drought. And then they obviously, you know, they said, we want Florida, and they got Florida. So, I mean, uh, when, you, when, you, when you look at their road to the playoffs, and I, and I know some people will say, oh, don't talk, the Oilers have only been to the conference final once, but they've played five playoff series over the past two years. How many other teams in the league have played that much? Uh, that, that number is very short. Um, but for the, for the Leafs, you know, they can maybe use this as a rallying point to say, let's get our season back on track. But I don't know if they're going to grab one of those top three spots in their division. And they're going to have a really tough road, even getting out of the first round again this year, because some of those teams that are going to play in the playoffs, aside from having a lot of talent, have a bunch of jam too. And, you know, if the Leafs can add a little bit of theirs and start to say, okay, we're going to play with a little more toughness and grit here. Maybe that'll benefit them in the long run, but I think the teams that they're up against have it in spades compared to them. So I'll tell you, um, the difference between the Kane incident and the Greg incident is uh, the Kane incident happened in the playoffs where there's as much mental side of the game as there's the physical side of the game. So Kane is really giving it to the, to the Kings there and trying to get in their head and saying, uh, you know, leaving them with something to think about before game seven. Yeah. Uh, Ridley Gregg here is a rookie got caught up in the moment. Uh, I don't even think he, I don't, I doubt that he was uh, put a lot of thought into the fact that he was just energized, the fact that they're going to win this game and yeah. he's just put it home and he is pumped for it. I do think it's over the top. Uh, it's the equivalent of uh, doing the old bench fly by high fives when you're winning six to one and you scored the sixth goal, right? It's kind of the un, uh, the unspoken <laughs> etiquette of the game. Well, they uh, do the bench of flyby for every goal now. You know, I, I, I don't know exactly. Uh, you know, I, I was watching the game with my dad recently. Sorry to cut you off, Bob, no. too. But he, said, but he asked me, he said, when did uh, high-fiving the whole bench after every goal become a thing? And and he said, because I don't remember it when I was when I was a kid that that happened. Like, sometimes after a big goal, you'd skate by. But I don't remember it every, after every goal. And I said, I, I can't pinpoint an exact time that it happened, but I feel like in the last 10 plus years, at least every NHL team has done it after every goal. I, I Maybe someone out there knows the exact time it started, but like even in minor hockey, when I was playing 15 years ago, we would also skate by the bench and high five after a, a big goal, but we didn't do it after every single goal. So now it's just like, you know, like you said, if it's a 6-3 game, uh, maybe there will be a little less enthusiasm in the fist bumps, but they're still going to do it after every goal. I mean, it's just it, it's just become, I guess, sort of hockey etiquette, culture now, whatever you want to call it. Well, maybe in minor hockey, Eric, but uh, you see it in the NHL, though, once the game is pretty much out of reach, 6-1, 7-1, they, they, they're not flying by the benches anymore for high fives. Yeah, uh, tone, they're doing their down. Little, yeah, they're, it's all toned down kind of thing. Um, you know, but, but the, the game evolves on so many levels, not just what's happening on the ice and for style of play, but even just in little things like the celebrations, like in the seventies, you know, when the guy used to score, the whole benches were clear to come, uh, jump on and, and, and congratulate the guy. And they finally made a rule saying, no, you can't jump off the bench to, uh, to, it's to a bench minor now. Yeah. It's, uh, minor. 
all of these kind of things change. And then and and teams adopt other things. Like it was only after the lockout, uh, one of the one of the earlier lockouts, uh, Darius Kasparitis of the Islanders, he made the thing of when the game is over to welcome the fans back after a win. They did the salute to the crowd with the sticks. And now every team's doing uh, that or a combination of something similar to that, right? So it's kind of the, yeah. the evolution of the game and, and just the culture of the game as well. You just gave me one reason to think a little bit highly of Darius Kasparaitis. <laughs> That's a tall task to ask, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, so we'll take our break now. When we come back, we'll discuss kind of the week ahead for the Oilers. And uh, one of the reasons we brought Eric on is because he's going to be playing with me and Bob in the heavy hockey showdown. Um, so we'll talk about that a little bit and then uh, kind of a little bit of an ugly thing that happened to Patrick Laine. Uh, we'll touch on that too. So stay tuned. We'll be right back in just over three minutes. Thanks for being here for the first half of our show, 97 Octane Hockey. It's your passion that fuels our game. We will be back in three minutes to refuel after the fastest commercial on ice. I'm Connor McDavid. How would you describe your game? I think uh, just speed. I think that's the main thing. My game is all about speed. Speed with the puck. I think a lot of guys have a tendency to when they get the puck slow down and, and want to look for a play and all that. But I think if you could do all, all that, all with skating, it, uh, it makes it pretty dangerous. Edmonton Oilers would like to select with their first pick from the Erie Otters, Connor McDavid. Under pressure. No more time Can we make a move? I was thinking You and I What do we have to lose? Cause I'm wasting all my time Thinking of the things we could do If you gave me one more sign I could find a way to break through A way to break through
following him all the time. He's tougher and tougher. Uh, so, the, so this week, Oilers uh, face uh, the Detroit Red Wings tomorrow night. Uh, Detroit is on fire right now, coming off a 4-3 uh, win against the Canucks, which saw um, Jake Wallman win with an overtime penalty shot. Um, I've got to look at kind of their lines from that Vancouver game and kind of what we doled out today. I'll just throw it up on the screen, and then we can talk about that matchup. Um, should come up here. Uh, so for them, they ran uh, Debrinket, Larkin, and Raymond, Rasmussen, Kopp, Fish, Fisher, Fabry, Valino, Sprong, um, uh, Perron, Perron, Comper, and Kane is the second line I missed out there. And on D is Wallman and Sider, Sherratt, and Petrie, Mata, and Gustus Bear. And I'm, I think the goalies are mixed up. I think Huso is probably going to be their starter tomorrow, but I'm not 100% on that. And today we doled out uh, R&H, McDavid, Hyman, Katie Perry line, Holloway with McLeod and Fogel, and uh, Sam Gagne, like I mentioned earlier, slotted in with, uh, with Derek Ryan. And uh, Connor Brown, uh, shockingly, is staying in the lineup. <laughs> Um, Ekholm, Bouchard, Nurse CC, Kulak, Deharnay, and Skinner looks to be our starter tomorrow. Uh, what do we think is going to go down with this one? I'd like to see us bounce back and kind of get back in the win column and get back to our winning ways. Uh, it's going to be a tough week with uh, Detroit, and then I think on Thursday is the St. Louis Blues, and then Saturday is a matinee with the Dallas Stars. Yeah. yeah. You can go first, Eric. Uh, okay. Well, first of all, I just wanted to say, uh, I mean, I was highly engaged during that three-minute break you gave us. Uh, <laughs> that 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 highlight pack of McDavid was better than any Super Bowl commercial I watched. So, credit credit to you for uh, putting that one together, or or even finding it. I don't know if you if you made the, that highlight yourself, but that's all me. That's all you. Hey, I mean. The fact that you included his midget AAA highlights in it—that's uh, a real deep dive. So, uh, <laughs> awesome job on that. <laughs> but uh, getting back to your question, um, I mean, first and foremost, uh, we might have a preview of uh, a couple former, or, well, I guess uh, one former in Costin if he if he plays, but like uh, a couple of potential future Oilers because Pierre LeBrun mentioned that. The Oilers are going to be in on Perron and Sprong. And, I mean, we've already had uh, Perron in Edmonton once before, but uh, could be seeing a couple potential deadline ads depending on how Detroit plays over the next five weeks or so. Um, yeah, they do need to bounce back. To like, like As we mentioned, the game against Vegas was the best game that they played. But, I don't know, I, I feel like the Oilers are really due to have just a convincing win. And you could say, like, okay, they beat Anaheim 5-3 to three and scored five goals, including an empty debtor. But it's not the type of, you know, decisive victory that you really want to hang your hat on and say, okay, like, finally we got back. That's the kind of game we want to point to and say that was good. They need to eventually beat a team like 6-2 to two or 5-1 to one or something. And I don't know if Detroit's going to be the game that it happens against. If you remember, they played the Red Wings uh, during the winning streak, uh, picked up one of their their victories there. And uh, it was a game where the Red Wings had uh, you know a, a good amount of control in that game. But uh, they even finally, I think, took a one nothing lead like halfway through the third period before the Oilers scored a, a couple quick ones to get it back. Uh, 
I believe McDavid's just dangled through the D. That that's a highlight reel. And Hyman chipped one in too, if I'm if my memory is uh, correct. But so yeah, it'll be good. Detroit's a, a weird team for them though, and, I, and you guys might remember this too. But like even over the past few years, when be I, honestly, basically since Ken Holland came to Edmonton, the Oilers near the top of the standings, Red Wings near the bottom. This would be probably their best year um, since 2019 when Holland separated from the organization. But uh, the Red Wings always play the Oilers tough, and they seem to win at least one of the two times they play a year. So it'd be great for the Oilers to just grab this game too, come out, have a really good effort. Be awesome if McDavid and Dreisaitl could each have three points, get some offensive confidence going, if the third line could finally chip in a goal because – you know, uh, while they're doing a lot of good things, there hasn't been as much scoring. And just have just a solid game start to finish. Get off to a good start and carry that lead throughout the whole night. That, that's at least what I'm looking for. Did LeBron really say that the Oilers are interested in, in Perron and, and Sprong? Yes. He, he was on insider trading on TSN, and he said it's well-known within hockey circles that uh, Jake Gensel is the Oilers' number one target. And he also believes that the Oilers are the front runners to get him. But should they not land uh, Gensel, he listed four players that I'm going to try to remember them off the top of my head. One is Jordan Everly. Um, and, and again, that is depending on how things play out with Seattle again. Like a, a lot of these deals might come down to the last minute because the teams want to find out by March 8th, are we still in the mix for a playoff spot or not? So Everly was one. The two Red Wing guys that I just mentioned, Daniel Sprong and, and uh, David Perron. And, oh, uh, uh, Vladimir Tarasenko from the Ottawa Senators. He also oh, said that the Oilers are interested in him. wonder what kind of cap space we still got, Al, after all that, you know? Well, it would be, it'd be a 50% retain on Tarasenko if they were to do that. Yeah. Be 50% retained on all, all four of them there if I wouldn't. What, you know, but I think Sprong is on the cheaper side. I think they could probably yeah. fit him in without having to do any cap gymnastics or anything like that. Yeah, but uh, I I don't know. It just seems like every time the Detroit Red Wings get named, there Kenny Kenny Holland's like right there front and center. Oh, we're gonna make a deal with <laughs> yeah. him, right? And I mean, this is his last year, likely <laughs> as an NHL GM. He might stay on in an advisory role, but. Uh, it would it would just be appropriate that Ken Holland's last, you know, big trade as an NHL general manager is with the Detroit Red Wings. So um, I, I don't want to hijack the podcast and take over from you, Mike. But do any of those four names really stand out to you? I'll ask. I'll throw a question your way. Is there one one there that would you know interest you the most? Well, do you think Stevie Wiley is going to give him a, a, a gimme there for, for his last hurrah? I don't think so. But. No, especially because the Red Wings are, you know, improvement uh, have improved this year. So, yeah, I, I I'd love Daniel Sprong on our team. He's quick. Yeah. He's a hell of a shot. So he would fit right in. But Perron would be nice just for that, you know, that that veteran toughness there. But. His boots are pretty pretty much gone. Same with Ebbs. Like, Ebbs is just, yeah. I'm I think it'd be cool for Everly to come back for the playoff run. They'll have another go around in oil country. And if they end up winning the cup, having guys like Nuge and Gagne and, and uh, 
uh, Ebs, who were all there, you know, 10 plus years ago to be a part of a cup winning team. I think that'd be really cool. And I mean, Daniel Sprung, like you said, he's got 13 goals in 50 games. I think that's about a 23, 24 goal pace. You can't tell me that wouldn't look good in the Oilers bottom six. And he definitely would add to the scoring. Like he, he would, he would fit right in automatically, yeah. but uh, yeah, it's <laughs> Jake Gensel there too. Like I wouldn't mind having him on our team, but where do you fit him in? Like who are you going to get? Like you have to let go of Fogel or, or Brett Kulak or somebody like just, you uh, have to get rid of the money. Right. I think the apparent ask is a first round pick, a third round pick, a decent prospect and there'd have to be a roster player involved to make the money work. So yeah, you decide. And that's a fair amount for a rental. And there's no way that Gensel, who's an American would be interested in resigning and the Oilers couldn't afford to keep him even if they wanted, but would you give up the first round pick, the third round pick Xavier Borgo and Warren Fogel for three months of Jake Gensel? It sounds like Nick Bustad all over again to if, me, if, honestly. If, if you're if you're doing that, then you you need to upgrade your D at the same time and really yep. really go for it. And I don't know if you got enough uh, <laughs> enough enough tools in the shed to part with to be able to uh, make both happen. Yeah, yeah. you uh, might have to decide: is a second line right winger a bigger need than an upgrade on Cody CC? And that will be the number one conversation that the Oilers front office is having from now until March 8th. They, they, I bet you they've already been banging that drum. You, you've seen the shuffle there on defense, right? So I don't know. Hey. If, if, if 4 nothing against L.A. becomes a, a bit of a pattern here, then I think upgrading the D, D becomes more of a precedent. But yeah, uh, since Knobloch has took over, this team can defend. So maybe – finding another scoring winger is is more important i don't know i think well i think, kind they, I think they got a little bit of time to figure it out they do well, i think <clears throat> i think it's kind of odd that you say that uh you know losing four to nothing we gotta look at we gotta look at uh you know the weaknesses we have in defense we scored no goals we scored yeah. no goals at all so uh and and you're bang on eric i think the way you summarize it about gensel is the uh, second line winger you know worth what we what we give up i mean i'm uh I'm a Gensel booster, and uh, I th- uh, he is a legit player and a uh, legit scorer and definitely a top-six guy, you know, probably, like you said, a second-line player on our team. Um, we are in that win-now oh. phase, so you really got to weigh – you really got to weigh this thing, like how much you're going to give up for, like you said, a three-month, basically a rental. If it gets us a cup, it's probably oh. worth it. That's a big <laughs> if, right? Okay, well let's let's break it down. Okay, Warren Fogel. Let's just let's just say he's the forward going the other way to make the money work on the Penguins retaining fifty percent. So Fogel's out, so you gotta replace him in the lineup. Well that means Gagne probably becomes more of a everyday player as he slots in. Um, the first round pick, that player probably isn't helping you for three years minimum. So we're talking when Connor's now 30. Uh, and he'll be a late first-round pick as well. He'll be a late first-round pick. And then three years as if everything goes well. It could be four years. The third-round pick, if that third-round pick ever plays in the NHL, the chances of him having a meaningful contribution to his team are probably five, six years down the road. So I would say that you're talking now, Connor and Leon, 
into their early 30s. Would you say, let's give up those picks? I mean, sure, we have to at some point start restocking the cabinet, but does it have to be right now? I would rather give up those assets. And Borgo, I mean, he's coming up on three years from his draft day. Um, you know, I, I really like the kid, and I, I think that eventually there might be a, a second-line scoring winger there. But, man, the, the opportunity to get Jake Gensel for one playoff run you could have a top six of McDavid, Hyman, and Nugent Hopkins. And on the second line, Kane, Dreisaitl, and Gensel. I mean, I don't know if you're going to see a better top six in the league than that. I do That's... think you're going to find more more teams asking for Broberg over Borgo, though. Yeah, and like, I'll say this too. You know, you look at the things that Bob Stoffer puts out, right? Like Now, he works for the team. He's an insider. He likes to drop little hints, you know, like uh, he was, he basically telegraphed the Broberg draft pick days before the, the 2019 NHL draft. He had been hinting about the Oilers making a significant trade before Taylor Hall in the summer of 2016. There's all these kind of things that you have to like pay attention to probably what he's hearing internally that he's not going to fully come out and say, this person said this to me, but he will relay uh, at least the message that's going on behind the scenes. And he said that next season, Holloway and Broberg are going to be important parts of this team. So if Stoffer's hearing that, that leads me to believe that Jeff Jackson and whoever is going to be taking over for Ken Holland as GM, see him as being in the top six on the blue line next year. So that probably means... I don't know, maybe a Kulak is moving on, although I don't love that idea because I'd rather keep him. But, you know, you just have to sort of pay attention to these things that, you know, he's sort of letting the fans in on. But I guarantee you they'll be asking for Broberg before they ask for, for Borgo. It yeah. doesn't mean that we're, we're going to give him up, but other teams will be asking for Broberg. Do you think teams are asking for Bo Aiki as a sweet? Yes, and I don't want – and, Kirk, you beat me to it because that is what I don't want to do. Uh, yeah. I would be willing to give up. Broberg than Bo Aiki. And it's such a shame that he had a season ending injury yeah. about yeah. 15 games into the year, because, you know, this was going to be his year to take over the power play from Brad Clark, yep. uh, be a point per game defenseman in the OHL. I mean, I'm still really high on this kid. And I think that he is going to be a standout at development camp in the summer and rookie camp next September. But as for right now, yeah, it's, it's a shame that he didn't get to, have his draft plus one season in the OHL because this this kid is a uh, a really nice find for the Oilers at 56th overall. I think that he he would probably go higher in a redraft. The skating ability is elite, and that's a player I want on the Oilers blue line down the road. And once again, he's a guy that probably won't help the team for another three to four years. But it's nice to know that you have that coming. You also have a guy like Max Warner from Saskatchewan, my home province, here on uh, uh, the Bakersfield Condors. I can envision five years from now, the Oilers' right side of the blue line being Bouchard, A.P. Warner. Yeah, that that does sound nice. And from what I've heard there about Warner, like from Bruce Gerlach, like he's just, he's he's excelling in his first year as a pro. He might be. Um, 
out of all the prospects that are playing for the oil, the Oilers prospects playing for the Bakersfield Condors right now, he might play the most NHL games out of all of them. And he's not the flashiest player in the group, yeah. but uh, I mean, he, he's he's just twenty years old, and he's six foot three and about two hundred and eighteen pounds or something like that. Like this, yeah. he is a big built kid, steady on the blue line, right shot demon. And the Oilers picked him in the seventh round. So, I mean, if you can find a seventh round pick that comes in and, and makes meaningful contributions, like another Vinny DeArnais, but with more upside and picked even later in the draft than Vinny, I mean, credit to uh, Holland and his staff for that pick back in 2021. That oh, actually was. If you that, get a seventh round pick that plays 20 games, that's a win. Sheesh. One game. Uh, the chances of a seventh-round pick playing one game in the NHL are are very low. So you know, but he this is a guy who legitimately could be the Oilers' third pairing defenseman on the right side for seven to ten years. Like that's the kind of upside that I, I think that uh, Warner has. And it's crazy to think that he got picked there during the pandemic. Like he he wasn't. They they relied literally on video. Yeah. For, for all for all of his uh, for all of his draft info and. and he and he didn't have like a a really great draft year, but in the two subsequent years playing for the Moose Jaw Warriors in the WHL, he he really took off. And uh, yeah, he's a player I'm I'm definitely excited about. Man, I'm glad we're through pandemic hockey. That was uh, something else. Well, I mean, even uh, speaking <laughs> of like players who didn't get watched that much, how about a guy like Matt May Petrov? Right, um, he was the first overall pick in the 2021 uh, CHL import draft. Yep. But tell me this, during the, the 2021 season, how many NHL scouts do you think were watching the Russian Junior League? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, that's the reason why he fell to 180th overall and the Oilers were able to pick him. If the, if the Oilers had any scouts over there in Russia at the time, they were watching the KHL. They definitely weren't watching um, the MHL, which is their version of uh, the, the highest level of junior hockey. So, yeah, it's uh, it, there were some good finds there when uh, teams weren't able to travel as much. I want to take a second and and uh, touch on something that I I saw today that uh, really bothered me. Um, there's one thing that I. I don't like to do on here. Well, there's two, I guess. One is uh, I don't want to get political. <laughs> and the other is out-and-out uh, -out trashing players and, and just being a, a, a jerk and an asshole. Um, but I'll show this clip. I made a little an adaptation to it to make it kind of humorous, but really it's uh, not funny at all. But here it is. I mean, right now it just feels like this team's dead in the water. Fantilli's hurt. Chimkov's hurt. Line is out because he was contemplating a Remington retirement. I think maybe. What the fuck? Help me. Ow! It's. This team fucking sucks to watch, and the 10 days off made it so much easier. I, I gotta yeah. agree with Patrick Liney. It's it's definitely not okay. Like uh, that is like some of the worst podcast hockey bullshit that I've that I've come across, uh, and I've seen some <laughs> awful stuff. I've put out some awful stuff, but that is cro crossing a line that 
man, that was just brutal. I, I just, I can't believe that in an era when um, mental health and suicide are such yeah. serious issues that a joke like that would be made. And you could see that the co-hosts weren't yeah, expected. <laughs> no, well, no, I mean, I, I don't want to give anyone the benefit of the doubt in this situation, but I'm, I'm going to hope that some of that was awkward laughter. Like, you know, sometimes you're in a situation where someone says something that's so off color or so outrageous that like you almost laugh because like you don't know what to do with yourself in that moment. Like it catches you off guard. I saw one, one girl who um, is a part of that podcast who tweeted that she'll no longer be associated with, with that show. And um, I, I think the, the, the individual who made the comment went private on Twitter. I, I just really saw this stuff quickly after work today. And um, it's, it's really, really embarrassing and sad that, that they would say something like that and, and joke about yeah. uh, a player's mental health and him potentially yeah. har- arming himself. It just, it's gross. Yeah, it is. And this is a blue jackets fan podcast. Like, yeah, you know, he I'm always a very optimistic, positive Oilers fan, but I will see the odd time. Well, I shouldn't even say the odd time. I'll see, you know, regularly some fans, although it's not all fans, but it's some fans who will trash one player or another for this or that turnover, lazy back check, whatever it may be. But this is like taking it too far to the point where you're, you're joking about something like this. So I, I guess these Blue Jackets fans are frustrated with how the team has been doing and where they are in the standings and everything. But to make light of uh, a player taking a leave of absence for mental illness, I mean, that is just, it's thick in my opinion. Yeah. Offside. I understand being uh, critical of a player when you're frustrated with your team, being critical of his, of what he's doing on ice and that sort of stuff. Like, like you were mentioning, Eric, lazy back checks or, you know, just, some stupid on ice plays, but a hundred percent in this day and age to be uh, ready for any player on something like that. That like that's the you're getting desperate when it comes to uh, seeking a seeking attention of some sort or or trying to find or trying to make uh, humor out of something that there's no humor to be made of. Um, also, this is a good reminder to all of us in this kind of capacity is to be aware of uh, what we say on on this uh, yeah. kind of platform that we do get. Uh, you know, it's it's a privilege to be able to talk to, to hockey and about our orders and, you know, with, with other people that are passionate about the game and, and our team and not take that for granted. And you never know who's listening. I mean, um, Dursa, as, you, as you're aware of, uh, there's been a few times there that we've noticed that, uh, you know, uh, a fine gentleman like Caleb Jones has been tuning into our podcast off and on. And if Caleb Jones happens to be listening, hey, Caleb, what's up, buddy? Um, but you just never know. These things get around. And, uh, and obviously something like this, uh, I have no idea how big that Blue Jacket show is or anything, but obviously it got as far as line eight and can affect somebody in a negative way. And why would you do that to anybody on that team that you're, to anybody in general, but especially like to a team that you're sp- supposedly passionate about? Yeah, it's, it, it's difficult. And it's, it's, a, it's a topic that you almost don't want to dive too far into just out of respect to yeah. the player and the you know, everything he's going through. But at the same time, I, I feel like it has to be addressed when it goes that far offside. But I'll just say, I I hope that Patrick Line wasn't um, 
too uh, too distraught by that. I, I hope that he realizes that he were, these were just some idiots that made some uh, some comments they shouldn't have, and it's not how most of the fan base or the hockey world views no. the situation. You, you have to, at some point, figure out where the line is. And I mean, like, we, I mean, look, there's no love lost between the Oilers and the Flames. They're our biggest rival. I mean, you can argue at times Vegas or Vancouver in the mix, but it's always going to be Calgary. And you can trash Calgary all you want. You can say every bad thing you want about the Flames. But then there's a situation where, like, what's going on with Lanny McDonald right now, right? And he's uh, going through uh, some difficulties himself. And you see the Oilers' official Twitter account putting out, you know, we're pulling for you, Lanny, or, you know, get get better soon, Lanny, all this stuff. And that's, I think, one of the things that makes the hockey community so special is that even though Lanny McDonald was the captain and one of the best players for the Oilers' biggest rival during their heyday, um, you take an opportunity like that where he's going through his own challenging times and you offer you know, words of kindness and encouragement saying, you know, we're behind you. Uh, you know, and I think that's one of the things that really does make hockey special that even though you might drop the gloves and fight on the ice or say horrible things to each other, um, after the game, you shake hands, you know, there's a certain level of gentlemanly conduct and, and respect there. And um, I, I just think that that was missed in this situation with the Blue Jackets. Yeah. yeah. Always be kind, man. Just like, you never know yeah. who's going, going through a rough patch. And I, you know, everybody has a bad day or they slip up or say something brutal, but as long as you own up to it, say, Hey, I'm sorry, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and not make light of the situation like they did. Like, just, no, just, just be kind. Yeah. That's my, that's my two cents on it. There's yeah. the there's the rivalry between Calgary and Edmonton, but I think it's important to try to maintain your humanity in the same thing when it goes. Exactly. And, Mr. and if Mr. I remember, uh, if you recall the Ben Stelter situation, um, yeah. Yeah. when when he was going through, you know, the last few months of his life, and it was uh, it was it was pretty bad there. Uh, you would see organizations like Vegas and Calgary, who I mentioned, are you know, two of the Oilers' biggest rivals, sending out their their well wishes and, you know, putting aside the rivalry for a moment and just saying, hey, Ben, like, we're thinking about you, uh, all all the best. And Matthew Kachuk sending a message, yeah. Matthew Kachuk. And, and those are the situations that, that are, you know, you really appreciate and that you say, okay, as much as we might dislike this player on the ice, uh, that was a stand-up move to do that, and it has to be returned. The favor has to be returned, and not not because um, you owe it or or it it feels like uh, it it should be returned. It's just that's just decency of of you know being a good human. So, uh, yeah, like I said, for Patrick, uh, he probably won't ever see this show. I, I doubt that an Oilers podcast is ever going to land on his radar. But uh, for some reason, if he does, just know that, like, you know, we stand with you and we, we stand behind you on uh, everything that you're going through right now. Well, yeah. Matthew Tichuk there, too, he's like, even because uh, Ben even mentioned in one of his little clips that he was not a Matthew Tichuk fan at all, right? <laughs> uh, playing yeah. fan. And Matthew Tichuk's message was, even though I know you don't, uh, you don't like me, Ben, but I have a lot of respect for you. That's, uh, that was a classy move. 
Yeah. And I've had this argument with Flames fans before, because like you said, Eric, they're our number one rival. And yeah. one of my favorite things to do is trash the Flames uh, because, <laughs> of how, because of how much I despise them. But I, uh, I also understand that when I do come in contact with, with the Flames fans and, and we bicker back and forth, we do it more for the love of the game. Like We actually have more in common than we do have differences. They're as passionate as their team as we are with our team. And it's just two fan bases. If, if you find the educated fans and not the dickheads out there, right? That uh, And there's dickheads on both sides, Oilers and Flames. Um, just to have that kind of banter, that, that, that makes – it's fun. That rivalry is fun. I wish the Flames franchise nothing but success everywhere but on the ice. I can't stand what they do on the ice. <laughs> but I never want them to leave because we need this kind of rivalry and this kind of you know bitterness between us. Yeah, I mean it, like I said, I, I I mean it's your show. I don't want to take it too far off the, the line, I think, or whatever you want to talk about. But I mean, for sure the rivalry is a is an intense one and sometimes you could say it's better for for the rivalry when uh when both teams are playing at their best. So oh, I'll just I'll leave it at that. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, talking about Calgary too, we did a when we called it the Oilers Live Cup, but we did one in Calgary. We did. And, and then we got to go see um, the game oh. where McDavid got hurt, but also Leon Dreisaitl scored his 50th goal that night. Um, and April I had 6th, 2019. Fantastic night in, in, in the Saddle Dome. Like, bitter, and bitter, bittersweet night. Yeah, and basically sitting sitting on the roof in that place. And Flames fans, I mean, we, we chirped back and forth, but... Um, it was fantastic. It, you know, it was nothing to cry about. It was, it was, a, it was a great night and uh, I enjoyed it other than Connor getting hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, so coming up uh, next Saturday and Sunday is the heavy hockey showdown on the Saturday. We kind of have a pregame um, silent auction um, to raise money for SACE. Um, if you haven't donated to your favorite player yet, uh, I'm sure Eric's got uh, a, a paid, <laughs> a link to where you can help support him. Bob does. I do. Um, we would appreciate any money you could donate to go towards SACE. They, they do vital work. Um, and then that Saturday night, uh, so not this Saturday, but the following on the 24th, the Oilers and Flames Battle of Alberta is reignited in Edmonton. And I believe all of us will be there in person to uh, try to will this team to another win. And then on the Sunday, we actually play the game, and uh, three of us, uh, Eric and Bob and I, will all be on the same team, and Kirk will be in the crowd, I think, with his high-end camera taking pictures and and DJing at the same time, or maybe just the DJing this time. Just the DJing this time, not taking photos. Okay, okay. I was I was sadly you know, mistaken there. It's funny to look back at the the team photo we, ha- we took last year after winning it because – Bob and I are actually standing next to each other and he even has his arm over my shoulder in it. And I didn't even know who Bob was at the time. And then I had him on my podcast, like not too long after that. So it's kind of funny that like, that was our, our our actual first official meeting is when I didn't even know him, but um, yeah, it's a, it's been great. I mean, all three of you guys have been guests on my podcast several times and uh, always enjoy talking to all of you. So it's going to be great to be on the same team again and trying to win that heavy hockey uh, showdown championship uh, in back-to-back years. There you are. 
Dynasty. I forgot to bring the trophy up for for this, but yeah, I'll do I'll I'll do it next Monday. Next Monday, uh, Michael is going to join us along with uh, Lotsberg, Um, and so everybody on the screen except for Kirk will be on the ice, and and Kirk will be in between the benches, or or sorry, in between the penalty boxes, uh, spinning spinning tracks for for (laughs) us. and, you know, shout out to Michael as well for putting all this on and doing all this. And, uh, you know, I know there are a lot of people who are responsible for getting this, this event going, but none more than, than Michael Hebert. So uh, really props to him on everything and for, you know, going up, up and above, you know, what we just do here as far as putting out content, writing articles, uh, doing podcasts, all this stuff. Um, actually putting on a, a charity hockey game to raise money for such an important cause. Like, you know, it's, it's unbelievable. Everything he's, he's, you know, done for this. And I'll also give him another shout out that game. We talked about between the, the flames and Oilers where Leon got his 50th and Connor got hurt. That was only the second battle of Alberta I'd ever gone to. And the first one was about 13 years before it. Um, <laughs> And that was that was my first NHL game at at the old Northlands, uh, and then like I said, I went to this game with Michael um, after our our Oilers Live Cup back in 2019. And uh, the only reason I even felt safe walking into that building in Oilers gear is because I had Michael next to me. <laughs> I was pretty much probably would have grabbed him and used him as like a human shield if anything. He's like you're the biggest guy you're going to run into in that building, so. Uh, no, but in, in all seriousness, great guy. And, uh, yeah, I, I can't wait to play with you guys again. It's, it's going to be a good time. Um, now, now you went on that battle of Alberta train. I think the first Calgary Edmonton game I was at was not a pleasant experience. Well, the ending wasn't, uh, that's when Theo Fleury, uh, scored, um, in overtime <laughs> and did his, Ouch. Yeah, did the Yakupov pre Yakupov uh, slide on the ice, uh, Selly? Game but, six, nineteen ninety one. Yeah, but game seven kind of uh, for Mark Messier giveaway. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I, I was a sad little boy going home it's, after. It, it, you know, it's crazy that uh, that is the goal that gets shown the most from that series, and I, I've had this rant on my podcast before. But <laughs> if you look at game seven. The very next day, and you know, I'll I'll, I'll give a, a shout out to Bruce McCurdy because I had him on the podcast back in November, and we recapped every playoff series between the Oilers and Flames from 1983 when they had their first one up until 2022, and when we literally went through it game by game, mm-hmm. and you know, Bruce's memory is like a steel trap. He recalls games from 40 years ago like they happened yesterday. So if I was ever going to tell anyone to go listen back to one of my podcasts, that would be one that I would say you'd want to check out because it's like you're hearing it from someone who just watched this game and he watched it decades ago and still recalls details that happened in the second period of a game between the Oilers and Flames in 1988 so vividly, you know, and um, yeah, it's, it's a shame that that 1991 uh, Theo Fleury goal always gets shown, but Essa Tikkanen getting a yep. hat trick in game seven in the saddle, though, including the yep. overtime winner. Yep. Well, or that one being shown. I, I honestly think that if it wasn't for Fleury's Yakupov-esque sliding all over the ice celebration, we wouldn't see it, but uh, 
thankfully the the right team ended up winning that series so you know i that, didn't know that I didn't... one though that's the first time i ever uh, felt the whole stress like and i like i'm a teenager at that point and i was so stressed yeah. that i was actually doing push-ups in between whistles <laughs> i couldn't i had no idea how to release it I had no idea how bad a shape Messier was in until about 20 years after when, when I saw it again. Like he was he playing come, on like one leg, basically. When he, I mean, when he yep. comes off the bench, he can hardly he, skate. Yeah, and he, he, he doesn't rush into the corner to celebrate with all his team. He's the last one off, yep. and like you said, he's basically like, uh, like lifting himself up with the boards to get out there. And uh, unfortunately, that was Messier's last uh, last playoff run as an Oiler. He was traded that that next fall before the season started. But um, yeah, just I'm glad that you know he was able to beat the Flames in the playoffs one last time before uh, moving on to to Broadway. Amazing stuff. Um, yeah, so. I think we've probably done all we could do tonight. Um, <laughs> if you guys have one more thing you want to talk about, we'll we'll go around the horn and then uh, I'll shut us down. Go ahead, Eric. Uh, I mean, I just want to always promote the stuff that we're putting out at heavyhockey.com. I mean, Bob wrote his uh, latest uh, goalie article, kind of his, his uh, monthly top 10 list in the league. I'm still waiting for Skinner to be on one of these lists, Bob. Like, come on here. Like, what does he got to do to crack the top 10? But uh, in in all seriousness, though, like, uh, awesome article. I, I joked with him that uh, he needs to have a, a different top-ranked goalie next month, so I don't have to use a picture of Aiden Hill again. I think this is the third, the third month in a row that I've, I've had to, to slot that in. But other than that, like, I mean, it, it's great. Uh, you know, we, we got there's a new article coming out uh, by Josh Bolton tomorrow, sort of touching on the Morgan Riley incident. Um, and just in general, yeah, just keep checking out heavyhockey.com and everything we have. We have a number of podcasts and just, I, I think that uh, we just continue to get better and better. Yeah, no, I just uh, looking forward to tomorrow here. Uh, I hope the Oilers bounce back. Um, and I was going to ask for predictions there, but I'll go first. Um, I'm hoping for an Oilers strong victory, like a six-two, yeah. six-two win would be nice. I'm with you. Yeah, that's that's literally what I, uh, you know, I, I was kind of touching on that earlier that I want to see them beat a team handily here, and I don't know if it's going to be Detroit. Maybe it'll be St. Louis, or it, it could come later this month. But you'd like to get one as soon as possible, and it would be great to just see them just wall up the Red Wings and, and get that confidence back. And, um, you know, like McDavid and Drysaddle obviously have, you know, been leading the charge offensively as of late after kind of maybe a slower part in January, but I'd love to see them keep it going. This is the time of year when they really start to pick up the offense. So I'm hoping that that's going to be the case for, for them. And yeah, I'll agree with you there, Kirk. Just have a decisive victory, beat a team, convincingly five to one six to one and really feel good about yourselves i'm gonna play i'm gonna play slightly devil's advocate i think they they are gonna win the detroit one but i think it'll be a tighter one i, I see something probably more along the line of a two to one game in, in that one i think their sixth goal game will be the st louis one uh i'm with you though eric for sure i think they are in need of a game like that just to kind of build the offensive uh, confidence again it's kind of weird to be thinking that we're struggling offensively with teams with a, a team that has McDavid and and Drysaddle on it. 
But yeah, they find a way to win for the most part. Uh, this last game was an anomaly. And uh, and secondly, um, Eric, always a joy having you here. Like, you're one of my favorite people to talk hockey with. I've always enjoyed being on your show and having you on, on a, our you. show is always a privilege. And kudos to you for all the content you do put out in the Heavy Hockey Network. And definitely, I strongly recommend anybody that's watching to check that website out. Because uh, besides my stuff, there is actually some really good shit on there. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, no, awesome. I, I really uh, appreciate you saying that, Bob. And uh, yeah, I mean, we don't know when that big game is going to come, but, um, you know, like I said, as of late, we've seen McDavid and Drys that'll start to pick up the offense after kind of going through a little bit of a slump by their very high standards in January or early in the month anyway. Uh, I mean, there was like a string there where Connor had five straight one point games. And for most players, you'd be like, wow, like, I mean, this, He's on a five-game point streak. But for Connor, it's like, wow, like five games and there isn't one multi-point game in there? Like, what's going on? So that's just what we've, you know, come to uh, expect from him. And then obviously he had uh, a seven points in a, a span of two games and 11 points in a span of four games now. So that that kind of brings the totals back up. The power play needs to get going more consistently, though. That's a big thing. The Oilers, during their winning streak, were getting a lot of even-strength production. And that's awesome. That's, you know, it's great that they didn't have to rely on the power play. But this is a team that is extremely dangerous when they get the man advantage. And I want to see it start clicking at a 40-50% rate for a stretch of 10 games or something. And that's when the points will really pile up because the Oilers do a lot of damage on that power play. So on behalf of all of us, I want to thank Eric for coming on. He is your host of the Forever 99 podcast. I think his last uh, episode featured uh, that very Josh Bolton. It did. And uh, who do you got coming up next? What's what's uh, on the go there? You know, I, I've got a couple guests that, that are uh, that have never been on the show before. And we're just trying to line up times. But, I mean, I, I definitely want to get all three of you back on uh, at least uh, once more this season. Uh I uh, had a lot of fun with uh, Bob and Kirk on uh, the season preview show back in uh, um, October. And, you know, we we had one segment at the end where we made uh, like an Oilers predictions. Like, I think we each did three predictions for the season. And I mean, it could be anything. I, I, I kept it pretty wide open. And I remember one that stuck out from both of you guys is, Bob predicted as one of his that Leon Dreisaitl would have his first fight this season. So I'm still waiting to see if that will come true. And I think Kirk predicted that three Bakersfield Condors prospects would play in their first NHL game. Um, and I don't think we've had one yet. So, I mean, we're, let's, let's keep our fingers crossed that we get at least one down the stretch here. Maybe it gets called up and, and plays in one. But I, I like the creative outside of the box thinking from you gentlemen. <laughs> I, I I hope it's I hope it's Ali Rodriguez because he he deserves at least a look. See, what are you got. surprised they didn't already? Like, you remember earlier in the season when he had like a nine thirty five save percentage, yeah. and I think yeah. they played a game against San Jose in late December, and it's like wouldn't that have been the time to sneak him in? He wouldn't have even had to travel that far from Bakersfield yeah. to San Jose, and the Oilers ended up winning that game. Uh, not. Not a blowout by any means. I think it was like four to one or something. But you know that that would have been a time to get him into one. We touched on that. Yeah, 
Yeah. We touched on that possibility on our podcast that 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 Monday. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I I think he well. I think the window's pretty much shut on that because the way Campbell's playing there now, I, I think if yeah. they, I, I know I don't want to touch that grenade because it's right at the end of the show here tonight. But <laughs> well, we've kind of opened that. the can here though now. So <laughs> hey, I, uh, I'll just I, I, I want to ask the two goalies, the two former goalies, like you know, next year uh, Rodrigo requires waivers to get sent down to Bakersfield. So how confident are you? in having Rodrigue as the backup going into a, a season where the Oilers are expected to contend again. I, I think oh. he'll be okay. Honestly, I think he will be okay. Even though he's had zero NHL experience, I think he'll lean on Skinner big time, but, and he'll have growing pains. Next, it, se- it's, it's, next season is next season. Let's worry about this. It one. is. It yeah. is. But I just, I had to toss it out there while I got the two goalie guys on the podcast. I mean, I, I think I could see a situation where maybe they run three goalies and you say, okay, well, we're going to have a veteran like Pickard come back and maybe Rod Reed will be in the press box from, uh, from time to time. And we slot him in, but they can't afford to lose this prospect. They, they have a top notch goalie prospect that they've been, seasoning for four years in the AHL and they can't let him walk. And it's just tough. You wish you could keep him down there for one more year, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be make or break time coming up here. All I'm going to say about that is um, if we expect Rodrigue to be a full timer next year in the AHL, we do need to call him up this year just so that his first games yeah. aren't next year. Give him a couple, give him a taste a little bit here. So he has a better idea what to expect for next season. Maybe he comes up there like when we seal a playoff spot. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I'm thinking yeah. about that. So yeah, because you know they play uh, they play the San Jose Sharks in the third last game of the season. And it's the final home game. It's one that I'm sort of targeting going to as well. So maybe like that's the time they could try and get him in there. I wouldn't even do that. I would just call him up for the playoffs. <clears throat> yeah, no. and just have him definitely be a black ace for then, sure. Then you don't lose Pickard on waivers. Yeah. They're going to call Campbell up for the playoffs, put him in the press box. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I would. I mean, just let let Rod Reig, um yeah. run on the, the on the uh, the Condors playoff run. I, I'd rather have Campbell sitting in the press box up here. I mean, he's he's getting paid. You might as well have him with the team. <laughs> I, I, I'm surprised you neither. N- none of you guys had like a hot take that Campbell was going to f- the Flyers for. Um, Sean Walker or Konechny. <laughs> we don't have that kind of time. You today. never know, Durst. You never know. It's a month, <laughs> less than a month away, like two weeks. Man, later, Konechny right? would be such a good fit in the Oilers top six too. Probably even a better fit than Gensel. But uh, I, I just, I don't see how they make that work. No, yeah. I, I, I'd prefer Gensel, honestly. But the only, th- uh, you prefer Gensel for this year, but you know that he's not coming back. Yeah. Where Konechny would be coming back. That's the reason. Other, I mean, I think he signed for two more years after this, or one more year. So you're you're getting minimum two playoff runs out of Konechny, if not more. As whereas Gensel is basically going to be a, I think you said it earlier in the show, Bob, a, sort of a, a, a Bukestad type situation, but better. <laughs> yeah, one and done. Yeah. yeah. But if you win the cup, it's worth it. Exactly. Oh, it's absolutely worth it. Yes, and. Uh, I'll just say this as my last thought that you want to be trading that first round pick 
every year in the McDavid dry sidle window. You have to not only give the organization the chance to win the Stanley Cup every year by doing whatever you can to upgrade the team at the deadline, but you have to show those guys, hey, we are committed to winning. We are going to send out the assets to give you guys the better opportunity. So I would fully expect that uh, Holland this year and whoever takes over for him will continue that trend. Interesting. I like it. All right, Eric. Thank you, my man, for joining us. We like to roll out the, we like to roll out the red carpet and make you feel at home. So we kind of did a little bit longer format, like you do. Uh, thanks everybody for watching. Keep your sticks on the ice. Keep reaching for the stars. Four two Oilers tomorrow night. You heard it here.